Our Bible reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 23. If you have a Bible with you or a device and you'd like to follow, please turn to that now. Luke 23. We're going to start at verse 32. Or I think you can turn your eyes to the screen and you can follow the reading there. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Amen. This is God's word to us. Pastor Darrell, and uh, welcome one and all. It is good to be gathered here on Good Friday, and uh, welcome to those of you online as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been an interesting week. Um, we stand up here and we have this service, which is absolutely fantastic, but because of the nature of the week that we had, there was this whole tribe of people organising things for if we couldn't actually meet like this, and I just want to take uh, the time to thank uh, Josh and Callie and their team and certainly Judy Scott and their team who were prepared to actually record this if we needed to in any form that we had. But praise God, we are actually able to meet like this on Good Friday. And I'm not sure about you, but as I grew up, it was like, well, what is so good about Good Friday? It, it seems to be an oxymoron. It, it's crazy to think that this is a Good Friday. Today is a reminder that the cross Jesus died on is really my cross. My, wife, my life is one that deserved nothing but punishment for the sin and rebellion that I committed against God. It's me who should have died on that cross, not the Lord Jesus Christ. But when I was powerless to change all of that, when I was condemned without any hope, Jesus steps in and says he'll die in my place. It was God's great love for me, sinner though I am, which motivated him to die in my place, taking the sin and punishment that was rightfully mine upon himself. And it's literally as if I was standing there waiting to be nailed to the cross. 
But he said, I got this, Charlie. I'll do this for you. If I was literally standing there, it'd be a very good day to be pardoned like that. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for your goodness to us. I've said it over and over again, I still can't comprehend a love so great that you would suffer so much for us. But Lord, we're gathered here in this auditorium. We have people gathered in their homes who, who just want to honour and glorify you this morning. Lord, will you take that glory? You are so deserving of it. And I, I want to thank you for what you've done for me. And I'm sure there are many here, many at home, who wish to thank you in the same manner. So Lord, this morning as we reflect on your great sacrifice, Just let it be true to us again. Let us realise what a great sacrifice it was. The incredible cost to yourself. So we could have free grace. So we could have relationship with you. Guide this service, I pray, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously we're going to be looking at the account of Jesus' death this morning. And as we picked up the account in Luke 23, 32, Jesus is being led away with two others to be crucified. These other two were criminals. And as we picked up the story, there was also another guy that was involved. His name was Simon of Cyrene. And they're walking along the Via Della Rosa. And it's translated a few ways. The road of sorrows, the way of suffering and a few others. And at this time, Jesus has already suffered incredibly. As people look upon him, they would see his muscles, they would see his sinews, they would see bones and veins exposed. And Mark 14, 65 tells us that he was spat on and then had his face covered while the guards beat him. In Mark 15, 15, it says that Jesus was delivered for crucifixion, right? Fiction after being scourged. And the scourge, the whip that was used, was merciless. It, it was throngs of leather, and woven into that leather were shards of pottery and bone. And it was designed to inflict the most possible pain. When, it was, when they whipped someone, it would come around them and it would actually dig into their body, into their flesh. And so the most pain was inflicted as they tore it off. Historians speak of bone, cartilage, veins, internal organs being exposed. I've stood. In the place where Jesus was flogged. It's underneath a, a convent now. These nuns have built a convent above where... The Antonio Fortress was. But you can actually go down into the basement and you can stand on the pavement where these floggings occurred. And it was designed for that exact purpose. There's channels cut in the rock so the blood would drain away. And Jesus was flogged there. <laughs> 
And finally, in Mark 15, 16 to 20, before what we read this morning, it says that the soldiers mocked him. They presented him as a king. They put a purple robe upon him and forced a cruelly twisted crown of thorns upon his head. And I always wondered why Jesus copped all that punishment. The Romans didn't particularly like the Jews, but it seemed Jesus copped a heap more than anyone else. And while I was in Jerusalem, while I was standing on that floor below that convent, I learned something. There's, there's carved in the ground there was this game. It was called the King's Game. And they used to mock the prisoners and call them kings. And as they rolled the dice, they would do to the prisoner whatever their token landed on in that game. And I think Jesus, when they played that game with him, they just constantly rolled ones and he copped the lot. And as gruesome as all this is, it was foretold over 700 years previously in Isaiah 52. It says, as many were astonished at you, his appearance, Jesus' appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond the children of mankind. And when they were finished mocking him, when they, had, they stripped him of all of those false robes and they put his own clothes on him and they let him out to be crucified and one of the trials of crucifixion was to carry the crossbeam on which he would be crucified on. And so each person who was convicted would have to take up their cross. And it's most likely at this point the convicted men would see each other for the first time. And they had a few things in common here. They were most likely all Israelites since it was illegal to kill Romans by crucifixion and also because the two killed with Jesus appeared to have some knowledge of scripture. They're all condemned to death. They're all despised by those who were gathered. They're all now carrying their own crossbeams. And each of these crossbeams weighed about 45 kilos. For a man like Jesus, Jesus grew up a carpenter. Carrying 45 kilos wouldn't have been too much of a feat for him. But there's an obvious difference between the two thieves and Jesus at this stage. Jesus had been incredibly beaten. Could you imagine what this scene was like? Here is this man, Jesus, charged with being the king of the Jews. And he may have once been a strong man, but it's obvious he's not going to make it. The road the soldiers lead criminals on in this type of case to, to crucifixion is designed to take them past as many people as possible. And they do that as a warning to anyone who may follow in the footsteps of criminals. And so they weave their way through Jerusalem. It's not a straight path. The thieves that are with Jesus see him stumble. Not once, but many times. And Jesus is obviously too weak to complete the task. And so the soldiers gather and they make a decision on what they're actually going to do. And they turn 
And they seize a guy, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. This is not an uncommon practice. In fact, Roman soldiers could actually ask anyone, any citizen, to carry even their personal items a distance. And the citizens were, it was impossible for them to deny it. They'd have to carry at least one mile if they were commissioned to do so. And so as the soldiers approached Simon, he didn't really have any way of saying, I don't actually want to do this. Well, he could, but he'd possibly wind up dead himself. And so Simon literally had to carry this for at least a mile. And Simon is believed to have been a dark-skinned South African man. And he's in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover at this time. He was a worshipper of God. Just think about the image of Jesus stumbling along. Simon of Cyrene walking in his footsteps. Bent over from the weight of the cross. He's following Jesus, who would become his Lord and Saviour. We know from Mark 15, 21, that Simon's sons are Rufus and Alexander. We also know from Romans 16, 13, that Rufus and his mother are part of the church in Rome. So it seems that Simon and his entire household came to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Carrying Jesus' cross obviously had an effect on Simon and seeing who Jesus was. But the party finally arrives at their destination and they come to the place that is called the skull where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Nails were driven through hands, feet were crossed and a nail driven through those. Screams of agony echoed throughout the morning. And again, as the crosses were dropped one by one into the ground. It's then the real fear, agony and pain begins. Because you see, to breathe, they need to transfer the weight from their arms to their feet and push up. But as they push up to breathe, the agony is transferred to their feet. These crosses weren't polished. So every time they push themselves up and fall back down, there's a chance they're getting splinters in their back. Their feet are burning with unspeakable pain. And so they drop back onto their arms again until they need to breathe and then they push themselves up. And so there's this rhythm of pain and agony just to breathe. People don't speak much when they're on the crosses. But there are some things that are said. As these three victims adjust to that intense pain and that rhythm of bearing their weight on their feet in order to breathe, Jesus speaks. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Could you imagine the shock of hearing those words for those gathered at the foot of the cross? Here is this man who's been punished so severely from the soldiers. Anyone would expect swearing, blasphemy, abuse to flow from the lips of those who have been inflicted with such torture. And yet Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. These words just exemplify the selflessness of Christ. At his darkest hour, as that approaches, 
His thoughts and concerns still remain for others. It is not mentioned, but I'd imagine the people listening were dumbfounded. And as these words echo out, well, the religious leaders, they can't let it go. They scoff at him and his words. And they say, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, he's chosen one. And it's interesting because they denied that Jesus saved anyone prior to this point. And now they use it to mock him. They're taunting Jesus. And it's crazy because they're totally unaware that their words of sarcasm and taunting are fulfilling a prophecy from Psalm 22. But their words are because they believe that God helps the righteous. And so in their foolishness, they think that if Jesus is the chosen one, then God will save him. And the, conversely, they believe that if he dies, he never was the Christ. And so standing there watching what Jesus is going through, they're very, very comfortable with what they have done and with what is happening to Jesus. The religious leaders mock him and likewise the soldiers mock him as well. They say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Realistically, these soldiers are just hanging around waiting for these guys to die so they can get on with the rest of their day. But they join in the mocking. And we don't know exactly why, but they taunt Jesus like everyone else. If you really are the king, save yourself. But they don't have any expectations that Jesus will do anything. We're told in Matthew 27, 44, that the robbers also reviled him as the others did. And during all of this, Jesus says nothing. He doesn't respond. 1 Peter 2, 23 tells us, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I didn't actually tell Pastor Darrell that that was going to be part of my message. so appropriate that he read that out. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, as these insults are hurled upon him, his silence continues to the blasphemy, the taunting, the sarcasm. He doesn't respond. But something changes. And we see in one that there is hope for the future. When I think about the pain and the agony that one has to endure, even to breathe on a cru in crucifixion, let alone talk, it's amazing that one of the robbers continues to rail against Jesus. There must be such hatred, such anger, such... I don't know. And these are the last words recorded of the two robbers with Jesus. Luke 23:39 says one of the criminals who were hanged railed against him are you not the christ save yourself and us and it appears as though one of the robbers had stopped taunting jesus but this guy kept at it he's bitter he's angry he's filled with contempt and even as he approaches death there is no th thought of God, there is no thought of guilt, there's no desire to repent of his crimes, there doesn't appear to be any remorse, he doesn't want to say sorry for what he's done, he doesn't want to seek forgiveness. 
Maybe his words hold some desperation. If it is all possible that you are the Christ, save yourself and us as well. Jesus remains silent. He offers no argument. He offers no warning. But it's the other robber who speaks up. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. It's interesting that there is no record of a response by anyone to these words. No one starts mocking this man as far as we know. And the other robber is silence. We don't hear from him again in the record we have in Scripture. And there's so much caught up in this short statement that this robber speaks. He acknowledges he is a sinner. He says, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. He has come to a point of fearing God. It seems he is now realizing that he has paid his debt to society for his crimes through crucifixion. But he will soon face God to answer for how he has lived. And all of his life, he has done what has been right for him with no thought of the consequences of his actions to either man or God. But now he sees. This man has arrived at a point where he sees he has nothing that would commend him to God. It is when we come to the end of ourselves that we see our true need of a saviour. It's what's said in Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The robber has come to realise his spiritual poverty. He has no hope for himself. No possible way to change his present situation or his future destiny. He looks to the only one who offers any hope at all. And even though Jesus is beaten, bloody and so near death himself, there's something about him the robber cannot deny. He goes from his earlier mocking to an awe and reverence of Jesus. And he says, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What he requests, he obviously doesn't fully understand. He is acknowledging Jesus is king. He's saying, you know, when your kingdom comes, and in order for someone to have a kingdom, they must be king. So he is acknowledging Jesus is king. And he sees it as being a distance in the future. And he's just asking Jesus, when that occurs, when that happens, when you are finally king of your kingdom, just remember me. Please, Lord. And his request is for mercy. He's asking for God's love and forgiveness. But he's doing so knowing there is nothing about him or his life which would attain that right, which allows him to ask for that. And his destiny is totally in Jesus' hands at this point. And Jesus speaks. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The robber spoke to Jesus about Jesus remembering him when he comes into his kingdom. And as I said, he thinks it's a long way off. And it seems that Jesus knows that the robber will find it hard to believe. And he starts with, truly, 
or in the NIV, I tell you the truth. Jesus is saying, what I'm about to tell you is totally trustworthy and true. You can bank these words. You don't have to wait. Today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. And paradise is a word that is translated either park or garden. It's used in Genesis, Genesis to refer to the Garden of Eden. It's used in Revelation 2.7 to refer to the restored garden. But at this stage, I don't think the robber cares about the where. What he can't believe is he's going to be with Jesus today in paradise. This man's belief in Jesus as king saves him. And what happens from here on really bends my head. The robber knows the joy of forgiveness. And yet, He's in the midst of agony. He believes Jesus is going to save him and that he will have life in eternity with him. But that's only going to happen if Jesus takes the weight of sin upon himself. And that's what happens for the next three hours. This guy hangs in the darkness alongside Jesus and he sees the agony of Christ as Jesus takes the sin of all humanity upon himself and suffers that separation from God. God cannot look upon sin. And this guy hears Jesus' final words. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. No one took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down for us. He chose the time. He chose the place. We often say that he could have stepped off that cross, that he could have called upon hundreds of thousands of angels to protect him and fight for him. But you know what? It's simply not true. The most important thing for Jesus was obeying the will of his Father. All of those things are impossible because the Father's will was that he die in that place at that time. So regardless of the pain, the suffering, the agony, the separation from his heavenly Father, he willingly obeyed. He submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. And the centurion looking on as Jesus dies, suddenly begins to praise God. Certainly, this man was innocent. And the crowds who had gathered to see the crucifixions left beating their breasts after they saw everything that had happened. Could you imagine what that would have been like? Here are these people who were so convinced this guy was a charlatan, that he wasn't who he claimed to be. And suddenly these people doubt everything that has happened. They doubt the identity of Jesus and they begin to believe maybe this was the Messiah. Maybe this was the man who claimed to be Jesus, the Son of God. Maybe he really was. And can you imagine what it was like for them to walk away and realize that they've been part of the crowd that gladly had the chosen one of God murdered? And even as they think that, the horror of the situation must have struck home. They can't reverse what they've done. There's nothing they can do about their mistake. 
It would be a bit like dying and coming face to face with an all-powerful God that you don't even know. We are no different to the people that are mentioned in this account today. Think about Simon of Cyrene, a man who was coming to fulfil his obligations to worship God during the Passover, and his path crosses Jesus. He's forced to carry this cross of Christ, and it is transformational for him. He and his family come into a saving knowledge of Jesus, and he is written into the biblical account for all to read. Simon knew the weight of the cross. He carried it for him. And although we're not called to physically carry a cross, what is represented in Simon is applicable to us. Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Simon was compelled to carry Jesus' cross that day. He could not reject the command of the soldiers. He was walking with a condemned man, a criminal. Simon would have been humiliated just as those criminals were humiliated. He would have faced taunting just like those criminals would have faced taunting. And I know many of us have been taunted as well as we follow Christ. But there's no sacrifice if we don't feel the weight of the cross. There's no true following of Jesus if there's no humility, if we don't humble ourselves. And the question is, are you willing to make that sacrifice? Are you willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, each and every day, and follow Jesus? The soldiers drove nails into his hands, his feet. They tortured him, they mocked him, they beat him, they ridiculed him and Jesus asked for God to forgive them. He had a thief who started out taunting him, who ended up asking to be remembered when Jesus came into his kingdom and he got to be with Jesus that very day. None of us have committed sins so horrendous that he will not welcome us. There were two thieves on that cross, two sinners, one either side of Jesus. One had acknowledged his need for a Lord and Saviour, one refused. One spends eternity with Christ, one eternally separated from God. The thief realised something in Jesus, he saw him as a true king. He asked for Jesus to remember him. Will you do that today? Some of you may have never done that before. Some of you have done that, but your life is such that it doesn't reflect that of a disciple following the Lord Jesus Christ. When we reflect on all Jesus went through in order to save you, will you make that commitment afresh today? Will you take up your cross and follow him? Believer and non-believer alike, today can be a day of new life, new beginnings. Will you acknowledge Jesus? When we think about all that happened to Christ, we heard from 1 Peter, he submitted and entrusted himself to God. 
He knew that God's will and purpose was best for his life and he knew that that was the best outcome on this day when he was crucified for us. Will you entrust yourself to God? Will you allow his will and purpose to be worked out through you as you move from this day forward? It's a good Friday because Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. He took our place, took our punishment upon himself. And it's a good Friday because this isn't where it ends. Sunday's coming. And Jesus rises from the dead to prove he has victory over sin and death. And my friends, you can bank on that. He has paid the price for our sins. We can trust him. We can follow him. He will empower, guide us, and live through us. Let's pray. Jesus, again, I thank you for your great love to us. I thank you for your incredible sacrifice upon the cross. And Lord, today, I, I just want to ask for your forgiveness. So often taking all you did for granted. And I know there's people here who feel the same. Lord, let this be a day where we can recommit ourselves to you, where we refresh our relationship with you. Where we realise again that you stood in my place, you stood in our place, taking our sin upon yourself so we could have relationship with you. And all we need to do is acknowledge you as Lord and Saviour. Help each of us to do that, Lord, those in the auditorium and those at home. Let us just acknowledge you afresh as our Lord and Saviour and submit ourselves fully to you. And Lord, I want to thank you. This isn't the end. You did rise from the dead and the evidence is clear. Thank you that that proves you have the power, you have the triumph over sin and death. We worship you, Lord. You are a good God. Thank you for loving us. Amen.